Well, good morning. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Good. So uh, I invited uh, our good friend and fellow colleague, Pat Cummings, to come on today. Um, Pat, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Patrick Cummings. I have been with Shannon Law Group since February of 2014, so it's been about six years now. I grew up, I'm in the Woodridge office right now, I grew up right next door in Lyle. I went to uh, St. Joan of Arc with uh, John, and then I also went to, to Bennett, and then on to Marquette also with John, and then um, went to law school. I started in Philadelphia, had a great time, one year in Philadelphia at uh, Drexel, and then it was a little far from home, so I came back uh, after my first year and then went to uh, Northern Illinois where I finished up and then shortly after that started here. So um, tell me about that Drexel experience. What, what was it like for a kid from Illinois? Uh, you spent some time close by in Milwaukee, but going to Philly. What was it like to go to Philly for a year? Well, it was, I guess I'll start by, I had some friends there before. So I, I studied abroad when I was a junior in college at Marquette. Uh, in Galway, Ireland, and a lot of my people uh, that I hung out with in Galway went to St. Joe's, another Jesuit institution in uh, in Philadelphia, and so that was part of the reason I went there. Is I had a, a small base. I knew I wanted to get out of Chicago at least for a period, and uh, so I had a small base of friends there. So I went there, really enjoyed the people in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm not a, a Cubs fan, so I, I didn't have to deal with any Phillies fans and uh, the Eagles and, and Bears. I guess. Uh, now that rivalry means, means a little bit more after the double doink, but then it wasn't uh, a huge a huge rivalry. So I, I didn't take too much of the brunt of Philly sports fans. So uh, when you started here at the law firm, did you start as a lawyer? I actually started as a clerk. So I started uh, my 3L year, my last year of law school. I had uh, arranged it so that I didn't have any classes or work on Friday. So I would come into Shannon Law Group on Fridays and some Saturday mornings. Uh, just to kind of help out with some uh, some clerking stuff, drafting some motions, that kind of thing. And so uh, you graduated and then um, you started working at our law firm right after that, right? Yeah, so I, I graduated and then I spent the two months after I graduated not working here, or maybe I was, I don't even remember, I might've been working sort of moonlighting here while I was studying for the bar, and then uh, took the bar Came back here, worked as a clerk for another couple months until we got the results. And then once I passed the bar, I started working here as a lawyer and started taking depositions pretty much right away. So um, a lot of people don't understand uh, what it means to pass the bar. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, my, my wife might be better to explain it because they go basically dark for a period of months uh, where uh, I would actually took it with John and a couple of our friends from uh, his law school a prep course and so every morning I, would, I was living out here I would take the train downtown to uh, Chicago Kent Law School and uh, would have about four or five hours of kind of intensive uh, education on topics that we, we took in law school and then also some of the classes that maybe I didn't take like uh, commercial papers or some of the other subjects that I knew were potentially going to be on the bar but I just didn't have the opportunity to take them in law school and so you'd go down and you'd learn about those topics in the morning, and then you'd go home and you'd just take practice test after practice test to get yourself prepared. 
And so what does it mean that when you pass the bar, what, what does it entitle you to do? Well, you get your, your uh, meal ticket. It means that you're employable as a lawyer. And so uh, it's, it's a, uh, kind of a great opportunity um, to help folks, uh, to represent them. And a lot of times the people that we deal with are folks that are inexperienced with litigation and the justice system, and they're folks that are, are vulnerable and need help. And so by passing the bar and be, becoming a lawyer, you're entitled to, to step in their shoes and, and help them. So um, I, I always, I remember when I passed the bar a long time ago, um, there's a, there's a typically in, in the courtrooms throughout uh, the US, there's a gallery in the back and then there's like a, an actual bar with a gate on it and then you can open the gate and then you can walk through that gate and appear in front of a judge. Um, is that what the bar is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the, the, there's the bench and the bar. The bench is where the, uh, the judge sits. The bar is lower yeah. in, in uh, esteem and <laughs> physically. And uh, so you're allowed through the, the gates uh, to go approach the bar and that's when you get to talk to judges. And when you're first starting out, at least my experience, I'm sure it was your experience, Joe, is nobody in law school tells you how to write orders or how to uh, do a lot of the things that are very basic things that now looking back, I'm like, how did you not know how to do that? But um, I definitely walked into courtrooms early, not, not understanding how to do those things. But the nice thing about the Chicagoland legal community is that I would just go up to somebody who Maybe had some gray hair, and I said, "Hey, listen, this is my first time here. Can you can you help me out?" And uh, overwhelmingly, people were very friendly, very helpful in that early stage. So, um, one of the things that's hit me over, that hits me over this last thirty years of practicing law is, um, you know, when, when I was a young lawyer, I didn't think about it as much, but um, not everybody can stand in court and represent somebody. Um, you have to actually pass the bar and be in Illinois, for example, you have to have the Illinois Supreme Court say that you are entitled to stand in front of a judge and represent either a person or an entity or a corporation. And so that's, that's a pretty big deal um, when you think about it. It's a privilege and an honor to represent people. Um, so... Why don't you tell the, um, the folks listening um, your first day of working here as a, uh, a lawyer that passed the bar, what, what did you have to do? So the, the first day specifically, I, I can't recall, I'm sure I came back to the office after getting sworn in and I, I went right back to work on some of the things that, that I had been working on. But the first time that it actually hit me, you're a lawyer, is within a week. You sent me, um, responsibly or not, you sent me on an expert deposition. That was my first deposition and uh, of a doctor. Uh, and it was a case that we ended up having to try. And then you're able to use that deposition testimony to, to cross-examine the doctor effectively at trial and, and get a great result for the client. But it was certainly a nerve-wracking experience. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that I've, I've always thought um, in the practice, and I, I was grateful. I, I started the practice as a defense lawyer, like uh, John Svitek, and I spent about eight years uh, representing large companies or, and big insurance companies. So I learned um, from those folks and the lawyers around me how to practice law. But one of the things I learned from that experience was some of my bosses 
um, gave me uh, a lot of responsibility early on in smaller cases to um, to learn and not be supervised and to have to do it on my own. Um, ha have you had that type of experience? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think there's a couple different ways of, of thought in terms of training young lawyers. And one of them is, which I think is, is a common practice in many big firms, is that you're brought along very slowly. And in some of these bigger firms, you may not see either the inside of a courtroom or a deposition for years after you get your law license. Um, at Shannon Law Group, we've had sort of a different uh, approach and it's kind of a uh, learn by doing. And so from, as I said, as early as a week after I became a lawyer, I'd been a lawyer for about five minutes, uh, I was taking depositions. And for me, it was, it was obviously nerve wracking at the beginning, but sitting here six years out uh, with all the experience and all the depositions I've taken, the trials I've had, um, all of that combined is stuff that I would not have been able to do over the past six years, maybe at other firms. And I think that I'm a much better lawyer because of it. So um, why don't you tell the folks um, your trial experience in that six years? Have you actually, I mean, most people that are, that are lawyers, you know, talking around cocktail parties or whatever, they never tried a case, they never inside a courtroom. Um, why don't you tell us your experience with respect to trials? Yeah, so we have, Joe and I have tried probably seven or eight cases together, uh, some of them uh, going all the way to verdict, some of them settling during the course of trial. Um, and, and then I had one uh, so far where I, I tried it all uh, on my own. And what I've, I've learned is uh, and what we've, we've been able to accomplish um, at our firm is that a lot of times the insurance companies will value cases differently and, than we do. And it becomes, uh, once you impanel a jury of 12, that's when it becomes real for insurance companies. And we've had the, the good fortune uh, in many of our trials, I think it's three out of the last four or four out of the last five where we've um, obtained for our clients judgments in excess of what the policy limits were, which means that an insurance company, they didn't think that the case was worth their full policy. And after trying the case, a jury believed not only is it worth the full policy, it's worth a lot more. So um, one of the cases that we, we tried together involved a, uh, a taxi cab driver that uh, rammed into a, uh, a beautiful woman. Uh, she was a nurse heading to her job. Um, she had Parkinson's disease and um, she got run over and then she had a permanent shoulder injury. Do you remember that case? I do. I okay. Very well. And so uh, why, why don't you tell uh, the jury about that case or the jury? Why don't you tell the, the folks listening about yeah, that you're case? You're still in lawyer mode. I can't get out of it. So it I is, that, was, that was my first trial and that was in uh, it was it was back when the bulls were good, so it was probably like May 2015. And was Jimmy Butler still with him at that? He time? was. In fact, I was, during trial, I was sitting at this desk watching uh, LeBron James hit a, a three pointer in Game Four, which was probably the last chance the Bulls had. But that was the one in the corner, right? Yeah. Oh my was. gosh, I, I remember like that. Uh, you just brought back a horrible memory. Yeah. Well, Thank I, you so I apologize much. for that. Yeah, that's right. But anyways, this case against the taxi cab company, it was a. 
Um, really a completely preventable case where this taxi cab company uh, were just looking for bodies and they did not do any uh, vetting of this driver to make sure he was qualified, that he was safe, and they didn't do any training. So um, in that taxi cab case that, that you and I tried together, um, that was your first trial experience, right? It was, it was trial by fire. Okay, great, and this, this was about five years ago, right? Uh, yep. All right, so um, you did all the motions, right? I did. And then, and then you did you did a number of depositions for the trial, right? Yep. And in fact, the, one of the things that um, that I, I really, in looking back on that case, that I, that I feel good about was that um, we um, set a precedent with respect to um, punitive damages. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, we had a uh, appellate court decision that is going to be used and cited by plaintiff lawyers across the state for hopefully many, many years. And what it did, what it did was it kind of uh, helped establish the standard of what is acceptable uh, when you entrust your vehicle uh, to somebody else. So it, it particularly matters for commercial transportation companies like uh, taxi cabs and, and potentially Lyft or Uber. Uh, and then the probably the biggest area is the trucking cases. And so trucking, the stakes are raised. And the stakes are raised because it's not a sedan that you're driving, it's an 80,000 pound uh, semi-tractor trailer. And so we need to make sure that folks that are driving those type of vehicles are completely vetted and they follow all the rules um, that they need to follow so that we don't have unsafe drivers getting behind the wheel. So um, in that case, just to, to break the suspense, um, the, uh, the insurance company had offered, uh, I think this, this lovely uh, client of ours had a small amount of medical bills again. Do you remember the number? It was about 20,000. About 20, and then um, we ended up, uh, there was a jury that was uh, a Cook County jury that really was, uh, listened to all the evidence and, and I think it was a week long trial, wasn't it? Pat? It was, yep. Yeah, and um, so we ended up getting in front of them. And, and so the way it works is that um, neither of the lawyers um, or the judge are the ones that award any damages. It's the jury and the jury's empowered uh, to do the right thing. And I always looked at our job um, and I don't know if, if you look at it that way, Pat, but our job is to help the insurance company do the right thing. And um, we, we do that through getting all the evidence together and um, showing them all the evidence because we're required to do that before any trial and then we put the evidence on but I, I can't remember uh, you know a couple weeks before a trial I, I, what would, do you remember what the offer was on that case a couple weeks before trial it was in the $35,000 range and yeah. then immediately before trial I think it got up to maybe 70 or 75,000 so the folks that, that, that I think are brave are the folks that we represent they're offered seventy-five thousand dollars, you know, uh, at trial. Um, there's no guarantee they're going to they're going to get anything. Um, and it, and the thing I liked about our client in that case and her husband, uh, they trusted the jury, and you know I do too. Um, you know, uh, we don't ever guarantee a win. Uh, we, what we do is we we put cases on, 
and we try to give people their day in court and we make sure that we, we only take cases that we will in fact cross the bar and put on in front of a judge and a jury. So we did that and I remember the jury really working hard on that case and um, um, I think the what, do you remember what the total verdict was in that case? Yeah, the verdict was eight hundred ninety-seven thousand dollars. Yeah, so just just a uh, uh, just under nine hundred thousand dollars, because this lady had a permanent disabling injury, and this jury wanted to make sure that this transportation company did not give the keys to somebody that had, you know, tons of moving violations, didn't care about the public, was wasn't qualified to drive, that type of thing. And I think, and you know, they appealed it, and they appealed it, and the the Illinois Appellate Court, in a great decision written by Justice Hyman, uh, set forth the standard with respect to what's right or wrong in hiring a commercial driver. Yeah, a couple other things about that case, Joe, is one, we gave the insurance company every single opportunity possible to do the right thing and resolve the case for within their policy limits to protect their insured, which is this taxi cab company. I think we sent something like seven letters to them presenting all the evidence and saying, you know, your driver never showed up for his deposition. He's not going to show up for trial. I don't think a jury will like it. And also, your the taxi cab company didn't follow any of the rules. They didn't go get his motor vehicle record. They didn't ask any of his past employers, is this a safe driver? They didn't do any of those things. And so we, we presented all that to the insurance company and they told us basically to kick rocks, to go, <laughs> go try the case. So, so anyway, um, that's the kind of commitment that I'm proud of in our law firm is that we will take the case, we will try the case, and we will handle the appeal of the case to make sure that um, our client is zealously represented. So um, anyway, that, that was your first trial. Now, um, before you got to our firm, we handled a, uh, uh, a large case involving a, a trucker that had, had rammed into stop traffic on 55 going way over the speed limit and basically maimed my client um, and then killed two other people. And we tried that case down in Will County. And um, it was the first case um, that held um, a, a broker liable for the acts of these um, this trucking company, which had no financial responsibility. Um, and so that, that case was one that, that uh, Shannon Law Group handled um, starting way in the, in the, the late 2000s, and that went all the way to the Illinois Supreme Court. You remember that case? I do, so that case is, because it's such a kind of an iconic case, not just at our, our firm, but uh, statewide. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that case changed sort of an entire industry, the logistics and the, the broker industry and how they do business. Uh, and so, because I've read the, the appellate, cited the appellate case a number of times, and also because all the briefs um, I've had to use in subsequent trucking cases because it is such a, a presidential case. Um, I, yeah, I know the case well. So um, have you handled any other trucking cases since that first commercial case that you, you tried? 
We have. We've handled a number of trucking cases um, and a number of trucking cases where either the, the company employing the driver or the attorneys representing them might not have even recognized it as a trucking case. So um, I understand that um, you've got this experience. You've been doing this for about six years. Um, why don't you tell the tell the, the listeners about your first ever solo jury trial? Sure. So this was, I represented a, uh, a kid who was a couple years older than me, um, who was in a uh, limousine, being responsible with his friends on New Year's Eve. And he was in a limousine that was uh, driving him home uh, sometime after midnight. It was a snowy night. And this limousine was backing into a driveway right over here in Lyle, not far from where we are sitting right now. And as the vehicle, the limo is backing into this driveway and he's blocking a couple lanes of traffic and they're T-boned. And our guy is, uh, he's seriously injured his neck. He has a couple cervical fractures. And similar to the taxi cab case, the insurance company thought this case isn't worth anything. So uh, they made us try it, try it. And then, so we did. That's awesome. So um, this was your first uh, solo trial. Uh, there was there was no uh, Joe Shannon in sight, and and you put it on. I, I remember uh, telling uh, Patrick that um, you know the assumption was that he would get zero, and I remember with him walking into the uh, drinking establishment after the verdict, and letting me know what the verdict was, and you can tell us what the verdict was. Yeah, I think it was something like two hundred and three thousand, uh, but it was. 12 or 13 times what their, their offer was. So it was a, a, certainly a good result for the client. Well, that's a good solo. That's a good first solo. So um, so we've had other commercial driving cases, right, Patrick? Yes. Together. So um, the one thing that, that, I, that I ask uh, folks that work here to do is to not only keep all of this great knowledge uh, to themselves, but to share it. So um, I'm really pleased that um, we uh, uh, now have a book that you put together. I did. I, Why don't you tell us about the book? Sure, I wrote, wrote a book um, that's kind of directed for our clients. It's called Avoiding a Trucking Nightmare, uh, What You Need to Know After a Truck-Related Injury. And what I found was that 99% of our clients, when they walk in our doors, they have no experience with the civil justice system. They don't know how anything works. Uh, and also they have more important things to worry about, namely their own recovery and their rehabilitation to try to get uh, as close as they can to what their, their former self was and their physical ability and functionality. And so for those folks, uh, they have so many questions, but at the same time, they don't even know what to ask. So we may meet with a client and sign up a case and we tell them, you know, if you have any questions, you're gonna have questions, reach out to us. Uh, what I wanted to do was get them a baseline of information so that they can read and understand a lot of the questions or what questions they should be asking. And so that's why we wrote the book, is to kind of give them uh, some background understanding of how the process works and uh, why it's important to engage with uh, an attorney so that they can kind of shoulder the burden and shoulder the stress of litigation while they can focus on their own recovery. So um, do, you, do you think this book could be valuable at all for, for attorneys that don't do what we do? I do, certainly, because uh, like many of the, the clients, 
uh, attorneys that don't specialize in trucking law might not know how that process works. We've been through uh, these battles before on a number of occasions, and so we've seen a lot of it, and we understand uh, kind of how, how everything works. That's what's in this book, and so lawyers that maybe just handle kind of smaller motor vehicle cases or workers' comp cases or even family law, what have you, a lot of times they will get phone calls from folks uh, that are involved in trucking cases because it's the lawyer down the street or it's a family member or friend. And for those attorneys that don't specialize in it, uh, that's why this, this book would be good, A, to give them some baseline knowledge and B, to, uh, to show that we kind of, we understand what we're doing. So uh, give us a call. Uh, and, and this is a, um, our second book we've put together. We, ha we had one called Transportation Law, which has been a pretty good book uh, background on that. This is our, our second book um, that we put together specifically with, with respect to trucking. And we're providing that free of charge to um, folks that, that want a copy. They just have to go to shannonlawgroup.com and request one and we'll make sure that they get one. Um, so I know that you represent people and you uh, advocate for them in court. Um, do you do any other writing at all, Pat? Uh, well, I certainly write on our, our blog. And so our blog is a, a useful resource for clients or for people that maybe are deciding, do I need a lawyer? And we, we blog about all sorts of different practice areas that we cover. I know John writes a lot of vaccine blogs for our, uh, our vaccine practice. Uh, myself and, uh, and you and, and Patrick and, and Jack, they all write trucking because that's kind of one of our uh, specialties. Uh, and it just, it's a really good resource um, with kind of current events, uh, for example, this, this coronavirus, how that affects the trucking industry. It's something that's affected every industry, but we kind of specialize on how it affects, our, our blog points out how it affects the different areas of law that we practice in. So uh, folks can go to shannonlawgroup.com and look at our blog. Um, we have typically been writing um, a number of those articles with respect to novel things that come down, with respect to uh, areas that maybe folks wouldn't, wouldn't uh, understand um, the, the technical parts of things. Um, but uh, that's a good resource to go to. We also will be posting it on all our social media as well so they can get it. Um, now, um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Patrick, is you've um, th there's been some updates with this time that, that we're in uh, March uh, 19th which is St. Joseph's Day to 2020 again I think you know folks will remember this time forever it's a kind of a watershed moment in our country with everybody social distancing etc has it had any any effect on the trucking industry it has so <clears throat> the governing body of the, the interstate trucking uh, industry is called the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. And back in the 30s, when interstate trucking became uh, kind of more prevalent, they issued federal regulations which govern these trucking companies and drivers. And the idea being they want to reduce uh, trucking-related traffic uh, crashes and, and injuries and deaths. And so the, the federal regs uh, recently, uh, less than a week ago, they've, uh, well, I guess I'll go back. 
one of the, the, the key elements of the federal regulations is what's called hours of service time. And what that, uh, the purpose of it is because drivers are paid by the mile. And so they're almost encouraged to work longer than they, they should be working. And so we had drivers uh, that are operating these, again, 80,000 pound trucks while they're fatigued. And I, I think that there was a fatigued driver that was involved in your uh, in the case. case, yes. Yes, yeah. And so um, the, the hours of service rules are put in place so that fatigued drivers, fatigued truck drivers, uh, who are dangerous drivers, are not uh, operating these dangerous vehicles. So uh, there's been a relaxation of those rules yeah. now, though, right? And there has. Within the last week, they have specifically for folks that are um, responding to the COVID-19 crisis, they don't have to follow the hours of service uh, regulations, which uh, it's, while I understand the, the logic behind it in the sense that we need to stock our grocery shelves, we need to make sure that medical equipment is, um, you know, is provided. Uh, I just, I'm nervous about the effects it'll have on highway safety. Sure, sure. So uh, let's let's shift gears here real quick. Um, what do you like to do in your in your free time? Uh, well, recently I've been kind of isolated, but usually what I like to do <laughs> is uh, I like to watch uh, sports. I'm a big Marquette Golden Eagles fan. I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. I'm a Chicago White Sox fan. I love getting uh, down to the ballpark as, as often as I can. This, this could be a decent year for you guys. Huh? It is, and and of course it's. Uh, <laughs> in limbo, whether or not it's going to happen. My dad says it reminds him of uh, the strike in 1994 when the, the White Sox were ready to win, and then, of course, it gets gets taken away, but uh, that, that's not really the priority. Um, and then also, I, I like being outside. I like playing basketball. I like golfing uh, with, my, with my buddies. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do some woodworking uh, when I have... What have you made with the woodworking? I've made a, uh, I've made a coffee table. I've made a desk. I've made some kind of trinkets like uh, cutting boards, but I had a, a small point of pride a couple of weeks ago It's because we had to get rid of my coffee table because it was too big for the space, uh, which my wife had been telling me for years, but I, it was my first project. Yeah. And so I, I went out and I threw it in the alley and within about 20 minutes it had been picked up. So I, I, I in my head, I think that it's a centerpiece of someone's living room, but probably it's just some DePaul kids using it as a, a table for their games. <laughs> and and do you have any pets at all? I do. I have, we have two dogs now. Uh, one is Riggins, who's a, probably about a seven-year-old uh, German German Shepherd mix. And then in April, uh, my wife Caitlin convinced me to get a, a second one, which is a uh, we don't even know what it is. But it's, a, <laughs> it's a rescue. It's probably a forty-five pound mud of some sort. Yeah. How do they get along? Uh, well. The, the younger one really likes Riggins, and Riggins sometimes likes the younger one and sometimes is a little curmudgeon-y. That's great. Do you yeah. still get out and play a little basketball? I do. I actually play Wednesday nights uh, up in, uh, there's a facility in Clarendon uh, right off Montrose and, and Lakeshore Drive that I, I get out there and just get some cardio. Great, great. Well, thanks so much for taking some time, and again, um, the book is called Avoiding a Trucking Nightmare. Um, it is uh, a really well. I, I reviewed the manuscript before it went in. I, in fact, I think I wrote, I may have written some a forward on it. Mm -hmm. But this is like uh, a really terrific book. Um, uh, 
with respect to uh, tr the trucking industry in, in general and, and litigation and then how it applies to our clients. So I think this will be a great resource for folks. So thanks for putting that together. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe. All right. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Pat Cummings. To order a free copy of my new book, Trucking Nightmares, please email our marketing director, Brittany Peterson, at bpeterson at shannonlawgroup.com. Or you can always give us a call at 312-578-9501. Hope you guys find some uh, helpful information in there. Thanks.